Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, today we're starting off this new three-week series, uh, The Heart of a Servant. And I just want to start by giving you a little bit of overview of where this servant, uh, this series came from. Um, if you were here last fall, we did a series called The Company of the Committed, Seven Habits of a Healthy Church. And we asked the question, what does a healthy church look like? What, is, what does it take to be a healthy church? And we identified seven markers or seven characteristics or seven habits of a healthy church. And number five, habit number five was sacrificial service, that each of us would find a place to serve where God has uniquely equipped us and gifted us and shaped us to serve here at Rocky Peak, that we'd all have a place that if we weren't doing something that it wouldn't get done. At the time, I felt really a little uncomfortable with one thing about that is that uh, I could cast the vision, but I didn't really have a good way to help you find that place. Now, I know that a lot of you already found that place, but... But for many of you, it's like, well, I would like to serve, but I don't know where. And so at the time, I said, well, pray about it, um, experiment around, try some things. And that was all good, good advice. But I, I wanted to have a better way to get at that. And uh, I really felt at that point in time, God was just really putting on my heart that we needed to come back and talk about this concept of what it looks like to develop the heart of a servant and then spend some time talking how Scott has specifically designed us and shaped us to make a difference. And so in the next three weeks, today we're going to be looking at the life and teaching of Jesus and what he has to say about this whole concept of servanthood. Next week we're going to come back and we're going to talk about one of my heroes, one of the like, top favorite servants in all the Bible. If I were to mention his name right now, probably most of you, which I've heard of that guy, you know something about him, but I doubt that very few, that very many of us here have ever done a study of this guy's life and yet it's a guy that God just brings me back to over and over again. Like, Mike, remember, be like him. Mike, remember, be like him. And so I'm really looking forward to that. I'm not going to blow the surprise. You have to come next week to find out who it is. Um, we, are to have, we have a lottery afterwards. You can put a pool in. We're raising money for the new building. Um, and then... Uh, and then the last week, we're going to talk specifically how God has shaped you. How do you figure out what God has uniquely designed and called you to do? How do you know that? And so we're going to talk about that and how God has uniquely shaped you for ministry. So I hope you can be here all three weeks. But today we're going to start off looking at the life and the teaching of Jesus. And there in your note sheet, there's a section called The Heart of a Servant, Becoming a Student of Jesus. And this is really what it's all about. You probably have this happen sometimes in your life that... Uh, that I have in mind, that sometimes you come across a passage of Scripture that is probably not the first time you've read it. You may have read it many times before, but you come across it in a book or you come across it in a sermon or you come across it on your own reading, and all of a sudden, that passage has just been a, just another passage of Scripture comes to life and it becomes pivotal in your life. God really uses it to speak to you and shape you. And it, it might not be a life theme verse, but it becomes one of those important verses. You say, oh, I remember when God taught me that. I remember the first time. And several years ago, I had a verse like that really hit me, and it was in, in the book of Luke. And I'd like you to turn there to Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. That's just one little verse. I'd probably read over it a million times, but here it goes. A student is not above his teacher. Jesus is talking here. A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like his teacher. And so he's using an analogy of the student and the teacher. Now help me out. They didn't do a very good job last hour at this, so sitting do better. Um, the student, like who would be the students in this analogy? Okay, well you did better than they did the first time. But um, let's try it again. So who would be the students? Us. Okay, we're the students in this analogy. Who's the teacher? Jesus, right. Okay, so he says that when we become a follower of him, that we enter into the student-teacher relationship. And here's what the part that I want you to catch. He says, everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. 
He says, the moment that we give our life to Jesus, we become a follower of Jesus, we enter into the school of Jesus, and the whole point of this is not just to fill our heads with useless facts or more Bible knowledge. It's not just the point that we become churchgoers. We used to go skiing on, on the weekends. Um, it's not about that. It's not that we just learn to kind of do a bunch of little Christian things. But he says, the whole point of becoming a student of Jesus is to become like Jesus. That's the whole point. That's why we gather here each week. That's why we go to our life groups. That's why we do everything we do here is to become like Jesus. That's the point. That's the goal. Of course, this raises a question. Well, who is Jesus then? What does it mean to be like Jesus? If we're the students, we're to grow up to be like the teacher. Who's the teacher? What's the teacher like? And one of the most profound things that Jesus says about his own life, about his core identity, is he says, I am a servant. It's the last thing you'd expect him to say, and yet it's something he he just draws out. This is part of his core identity. And so what I want to do today is say, okay, if our goal is to become like the teacher, our teacher is a servant, what do we we need to listen to our teacher say to us today? And so we're going to uh, take a look at a couple passages where Jesus really spells this out, and uh, let's look at the life and teachings of Jesus. The first passage is Mark chapter 10. Now this would be a familiar passage to some of you, new to others. Uh, let me set the stage. It takes place near the end of Jesus' life. He's making his final trip to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to die. They think he's going to be a superstar. And so they're traveling along, and, and the disciples are just expecting he's going, this is it. This is the day we've been working for. This is the day we've been waiting for. He's going to come into Jerusalem. He's going to take over the country. He's going to launch his government, his kingdom, and we get to be his cabinet members. And so they're beginning to jockey for position. Like who gets to be the Secretary of Defense? Who gets to be the Secretary of the Interior? Who's the Vice President? And the 12 are really having this discussion. And two of them have the nerve, two of the inner circle, James and John, go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we just want you to know, we're your guys. We've been with you for three years here. Uh, We totally are with you. We got your back. Uh, We are pulling for your kingdom. You can count on us. What we would like is in this new cabinet that you're established, this new government, when you establish your government, we would like to be your top two advisors. He'd like to sit on the right, I'd like to sit on the left, I'm left-handed. And, and so um, what do you think about that idea? And they make their pitch. Well, of course, the, the other ten hear about it, and they're all ticked off because, because they didn't get there first. And so they didn't get to make their pitch. And so Jesus decides this is a teachable moment. The school of Jesus is now opening. Class is in session. Let's all sit around here. Let's talk about what it means to be my follower. Let's talk about what it means to be great. I know you want to be great. You want to be the right and left. Let me tell you how to get there. Let me tell you what that looks like. Let's, what we're shooting for here. And so we pick it up in verse 42. So Jesus calls them together and he says, he says, you know that out there in the world, think of your workplace, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, so out there in the secular world is what he's saying, that the rulers tend to lord it over people, that um, the, the boss tends to uh, be bossy is what he's saying, that in, in the secular world in general, there's, there's a tendency that for politicians to throw their weight around and abuse power. Uh, there's a tendency for heads of family to act like they are just, you know, everyone else that has served them. There's a tendency uh, at your workplace for, for the boss to use their power to advance their own purposes. It's just the way the world is. It's just, he says, that's the way it works. I remember years ago, probably 20 years ago, listening to Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel teach. And he was talking about, there's some people in the church, you just give them a little bit of authority, and they start taking over the place. You know, he says, you ask them to p- uh, pass out bulletins, pretty soon they're doing dress code checks at the door, you know? 
And it just gets kind of human nature, you know? You get in a place of power and you start, you know, it's like, okay, you know, start wielding your power. And Jesus says, I understand, that's how life works. And that's why you want to be at the top and not the bottom. And that's why you want to be on the right and the left so you have this power and so you can be bossy. But he says, we're going to do life a little differently, okay? So he says in verse 42, not so with you. We're going to do life differently. We're going to have a new kind of community, a new kind of kingdom. He said, instead, Whoever wants to become great among you. He says, guys, you want to be great? You want to sit in the right and the left? That's awesome. I want you to be great too. You want to succeed in life? I want you to succeed. But let me tell you how to do it. If you want to be great, you must be a servant. Now we've got to talk about this for a second. One of the things that's required, especially if you've been a Christian a long time, if you're a new Christian, you've got a tremendous advantage at this, at this point. But if you've been a Christian for a long time, if you're going to grow in Jesus, you have to get rid of some stereotypical uh, stained glass uh, kind of images of Christ. Uh, it's, it's so hard. If you, like me, you're raised in the church and stuff, you just get to some of this stuff and you say, hey, be a servant. And you go, oh, cool, you know, be a servant. I'll be a servant, you be a servant. Like, this is a really cool thing to be a servant. Well, back in that day, being a servant was not a cool thing. We do this at all kinds of things, like crosses. Now, please hear me on this. If you have a cross around your neck, don't get embarrassed at this point. Uh, I'm, I'm not picking on crosses. I think crosses are fine. We have a cross on the hill. I'm good with that. But you do understand that a cross is an instrument of torture and death. Do you not? You do understand that a cross, that no one in the first several hundred years of the church ever put up a cross. You understand that? There's a reason for that. The reason is, is because it would be like putting an electric chair on a post. You know, how would you feel today? We came in and had the cross up here. Instead of a cross, we have an electric chair. We have a giant needle for a lethal injection. You know? And we'd be selling them afterwards. You could get this little gold lethal injection thing. What are you? I'm a follower of the lethal injection people. You know? Okay. Uh, we have a little electric chair. What's that? You know, that looks so cute. Yeah, it's how we fry people. You, know, it's, you see, the early church, the early church knew that a cross was about suffering and death. No one would wear a cross around their neck. Now, if you have a cross, that can be a good thing. Because if you understand what a cross means, that a cross is a way of saying, I'm dead to myself and I'm alive to Jesus. And then, then a cross becomes a good thing, you see. But many times we do this. We read the Bible. We read kind of our, our 21st century things you know, into it and we just kind of miss out on the real meaning. Well, that's the same way with servants. We come in, we read this passage that many of us are familiar with, be a servant. Oh yeah, we get it. Have a heart of a servant and stuff like that. We think it's a really cool thing. Back then, being a servant was not a cool thing. It's the bottom of the pecking order. It's the last thing you want to do, be. You know, it's like you don't raise your kids. What do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a servant. And it's like, no. Years ago, not years ago, weeks ago, <laughs> whatever, it's been a long year. Um, <laughs> weeks ago, um, Lynn and I, was a Friday, and I went out for a prayer walk, and it had been a long week, and I came back on a Friday and said, hey, let's go away for the day. She goes, okay. And so uh, we, we decided to go up to San Luis Obispo, and so we, we, we drove up there for the day, had a great time, spent the evening, came back Saturday morning, because I, I had to preach, because Dave Cox was out of town. Anyway, um, <laughs> so... 
so we're making our way back, and it's freezing. It's that weekend that they closed I-5 all weekend because of the snow. I mean, it was freezing. And so we're coming down through Buellton, and I mean, there's snow on the side of the road in Buellton. And it, it's just so cold. And so we're coming down the 101, and we're getting off there at Santa Rosa. You know how you make that, that, you do that shortcut coming through the valley on Santa Rosa and then go to Tierra Rojada. Don't I sound like a local? Anyway, so, <laughs> anyway, so I'm just excited about this. I, it has nothing to do with the whole sermon, but I'm just, you know, just anyway. So... So we get off the 101 and we're coming on, and as we, we come off there, here it's 11 o'clock in the morning, it's freezing out, it's raining, it's so cold. You know, it's like the coldest day since I've been here, which is way too cold. And I look out in the fields in the distance, and there in the fields, there are migrant workers out there in the rain, in the freezing rain, cutting cabbage or lettuce or whatever it was. And I gotta tell you, it broke my heart. It's like no one should have to be out in the rain the freezing rain, cutting lettuce to feed their families. That is what a servant looks like. And when Jesus said you have to become servants, it's images like that that came in their mind. You see? We read servant, and we, we, we kind of, we've sort of romanticized it. You know, we've got a servant heart, servant leader, servant. No, no, no. When they heard servant, it floored them. If you want to be the greatest, you have to be a servant. What they heard was, if you want to be great in my kingdom, go out and pick up the cabbage, be a migrant worker. That's what they heard. You see? And so he goes on, and they're just probably totally confused by this point. <coughs> Verse 44, whoever wants to be first then must be the slave of all. And then he gives them the reason. Here's the reason why this call to service. It's because it was his call. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man, that's a name for the Messiah, that's his favorite name for himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Even the top dog in the universe, even the head honcho of all things, even the big dog, the creator of all things, that's what he's saying, even the creator of all things did not come to be served, but came to serve. And he says, and that's why, you're following me. The student is not about greater than the teacher. See, if the teacher is a servant, then guess what? We're servants. We'll talk more about that. Well, you know, they didn't really catch this. It, this was really, they just didn't really get this. I mean, this is just a really hard thing to get. I mean, we could have like a 15-week seri- uh, sermon series on being a servant, and by the time you got, got done, we would still, on the 16th week, would kind of be, wouldn't come naturally to us. This is just not natural. The way we're wired as human beings, we think the way to get the most out of life is to seek ourselves, number first, our own agendas, our own goals. If we do that, we'll be happy. It's so deeply rooted in us. This whole concept of service is so just anti-human nature. And they didn't pick it up right away. Neither did we. Neither did we. And so a few weeks later, let's, let's fast forward the tape just a little bit. A few weeks, maybe two weeks, three weeks, whatever. It's not very far. They're now in Jerusalem. It's the Last Supper. Later on, we're going to be celebrating communion. So it's, their last, it's the Last Supper. Jesus is going to be arrested that night. They don't, they don't understand. They still think his kingdom's right around the corner. And right in, the, right in that upper room, the last night he's with them, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 22, and we won't turn there now. You can look there later. In Luke 22, he tells them this argument broke out again. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Same argument. It's like they had two, three weeks ago. You see, this is a hard thing for us to learn. We just don't get it. And so they're arguing over that. In the middle of dinner, Jesus does something that no Jewish man would do and just blew them away. 
right in the middle of dinner. He gets up. Now remember, this is Passover. This is like one of your high holy days of the year. This is like, this is festival time. This is special time. This is like a symbolic time. This is big time. And right in the middle of dinner, Jesus gets up and everyone's watching and they don't have a clue what he's up to. And he goes over to the corner and he starts stripping down in the middle of this formal dinner. And he strips down until he looks like a servant, half naked. He takes this big towel, he wraps it around his waist, he picks up this basin of water and he brings it over and he does what no Jewish man would ever do. You see, in that culture, wives were sometimes required to wash the feet of guests. In that culture, children were sometimes required to wash the feet of guests. But Jewish men were never required to wash the feet of other Jewish men. Not even their leaders, not even their rabbis, not even their teachers. And so Jesus, in a moment in time, blows out all cultural norms and he bends down and he starts washing the first man's feet. And can you imagine how awkward this was? It's so awkward, man. It's like, not me. Don't start with me. I don't want to start with you. Start with him, you know? Go with Nathaniel. He's a nice guy. No guile. He's a good guy. Go with Nathaniel. And can you imagine that as Jesus gets down on his hands and his knees and he takes the first man's feet in his hands and he takes the water and he takes the towel and he begins washing and massaging the foot and cleansing the foot and getting the dirt out of the toenails and the dirt between the... And, and the guy is going freaking out. Like, would you just hurry it up? You think they're loving this moment? I think they're just feeling this is just wrong. This should not be happening. Here is their Lord. Here's their leader. Here's the one they follow. They're willing to risk their lives for. And he's on his hands and knees with their feet in his hands. This is wrong. It should not be happening. And no one wants to say a word because they always get in trouble when they talk. <laughs> but finally, Peter can't hold his tongue like he never can. And so when he gets to Peter, he says, oh no, not my feet. You can't touch my feet. These are my feet. You're the Lord. We don't do that. And Jesus says, enough, Peter. You don't get it. My whole life is about washing your feet. You think I'm your leader. You think I'm your Lord. You don't get it. My whole life has been about serving you, Peter. I'm just, I'm just giving you an object lesson of my whole life. Don't you understand from day one, I've been loving you, Peter. I've been laying down my life for you, Peter. I'm going to die for you tomorrow, Peter. If you don't let me wash my feet, your feet, you don't get to be a part of me. And Peter backs off. Jesus washes his feet. Lesson goes on. Just the, the tension in the room. Everyone's so confused. Turn with me to chapter 13 of, of John and let's see what Jesus says. In verse 12, so when he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And I want you to imagine this. There has to be at least a minute or two of silence here, awkward silence. He finishes the last guy. He gets up. He's done. Everyone's blown away. No one understands what's going on. No one has a clue. What is he doing? He's messed up a perfectly good Passover meal. And he goes over to the corner and now he's, putting, he's getting dressed again and no one is saying a word. Peter just tried and he got in trouble. Every eye is either on Jesus or on the floor. And he begins to explain the object lesson. He says, hey, do you understand what I've done for you? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> he said, well, you, you call me teacher. You call me Lord. I'm your leader. Yep, that's, you're right. That's what I am. 
But here's the point. Now, if I, your, your Lord and teacher, if I've washed your feet, if I've gotten on my hands and knees, if I've cleaned out between your toes, if I've dried your feet with my towel, then you should wash one another's feet. You see, the teacher, the student is not greater than the teacher. Verse 15. I have such an example that you should do as I've done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master. Doesn't that sound familiar? (laughs) No teacher, no student greater than the teacher. Nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, if if you know these things, and here it comes. This is so important. Now, if you know these things, he says, guys, hey, pay attention. Pay attention. Remember about three weeks ago, I taught you this lesson when you were arguing over who is number one. Remember tonight, I did this object. Now, if you know these things, if you know these things, then you'll be blessed if you do them. That word blessing carries a lot of meaning in the Jewish culture. To be blessed of God, to have the blessed life, means life at its fullest, life at its richest. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, God says, if you obey me, you'll be blessed when you go out and blessed when you come in. You'll be blessed in your homes and blessed in your fields and the fruit of your, your womb and the fruit of your crops. And you'll be blessed. You'll have life. You'll live life as it's meant to be. We would say you'll, you'll be fulfilled. You'll have purpose. You'll have meaning. And Jesus says, I just showed you how to live the blessed life. The blessed life is not one of selfishness. The blessed life is one of service. Okay, now, let's break this down. There in your note sheet, we have a section called Servanthood 101. There's two lessons from the life of Jesus that I want to highlight today. And I got to tell you this, I really believe these are God's heart for the church at Rocky Peak. These are on his heart. I really believe this for you personally and your life, for my life, but also corporately. And there are times in the life of a church where God says, okay, here's something I want to teach you. Here's a lesson. We're not going to get it all straight this one time around. But there's, there's times where God says, I want to take this lesson about what it means to follow Jesus and I want to drive it deep in the heart of the church here at Rocky Peak for the specific time. And then he'll circle around in a year from now or something, he'll bring it back up again. But this is like our next lesson. And I really believe this, that God has a message for us here at this time in our development as a church about what it means to be a group of Christ's followers. He wants us to understand this whole message of servanthood. So these, these, these two principles we're going to talk about today, they're gonna, I'm going to put neon lights around them. It's going to highlight what we just studied are critical for your life and my life, understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to grow up to be like our teacher, and they're critical in the life of our church, becoming the church that he wants us to be. Okay, so here we go. Number one, so if I set up, pay attention, your spiritual listening ears on. Number one, servanthood is not optional. It's part of our core identity. I think this is really big. That he wants us to understand that servanthood is not an optional part of the Christian life. It's part of our core. In other words, like a lot of us when we think of service... <laughs> It's natural if you're like me. You're probably like this. We often think of service. We think of service as what we do, that hour or two of, of, of a week. We have extra time or we make time to do something special we wouldn't normally do. That's what it means to do service. This is, it's like there's the core of our Christian life. I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I may serve. I may not. I'm busy right now. I don't have time to serve. But that time, an hour or two or three or four, whatever, that's our service. And Jesus comes along and blows it away and says, no, 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 service is not something you do. Service is someone you are. This is like 24-7. It's part of our core identity. We are servants. Let's say, for example, you go down to buy a new car. 
and you go down, and, and usually for most cars, they have the same car that comes in multiple editions, right? They've got the, like, the economy edition. And so if you're just using it for commuting, that might be what you get. You know, I don't know. It depends on how long your commute is. But they just have the basic car, the economy edition. But then you have, like, the XL edition with a few more options. And then you have the XLS edition often. It's like the premium. You get everything with it. And it's really up to you. You can either, you can either have the basic model or you can have the, the top of the line. And it's just you're going to pay more for one than the other. But they're both going to work. They're both going to get you where you need to go. And so it's just, do you travel in style or do you travel in comfort? It's just up to you. You, know, if you, you want to pay a little extra, you get the six CD changer and the surround sound Bose speakers, you know? And, and now you can enjoy the ride more. Uh, maybe if you have kids, you get a DVD player so you can, you know, save money on mental health bills in the future. Um, <laughs> You, know, you, you want to look cool, you put on the special wheels and it you know, keeps spinning at a stop sign or whatever. And, and so, or maybe not so cool, however you see that. But anyway, um, so, so you can get whatever kind of car you want. You know, it's all the same car. It's just sort of these, you get these options. But you know what? For a lot of us, that's how we see service. We see the basic model as the Christian life. We see service as the upgrade that we know we should do, but it'll cost us a little more. It might make life a little better. You know, and so based on our budget and our time and all, we'll decide whether we do the service thing. But we really see, like, well, we can be a follower of Jesus and not really serve that much. And, and that's okay. It's kind of optional equipment. It's, it's like we should probably, and it'd be better if we did, and so on. You see what I'm saying? And Jesus comes along and blows that out of the water and says, no, no, no. Service is the engine in this car. It is impossible to be a follower of Jesus and not be a servant. Why? Because Jesus was a servant and the student will be like the teacher, you see? Now this is so much bigger. This is so much bigger than, you know, we're going to talk later in this series about finding your place at the niche here in Rocky Peak and that's a very important part of our service, but this is so much bigger than what we do for the kingdom. It's so much bigger in the sense of like church or whatever. You see, what Jesus wants us to understand is service is a way of life. If you're a husband, men, okay, you're a man. You're a husband, let's say. So if your husband means you have a wife. All right. What Jesus would say to you is you, one of your highest callings in life is to serve your wife. See? You're a wife. You have a husband. One of your highest callings in life, wife, is to serve your husband well. If you have children, one of your highest callings in life is to serve your children well. Hey, most of us tomorrow morning will get up and we'll either start working in the home or we'll, start, we'll go to the office. We'll go to the job site. We'll swing a hammer. We'll run a bank. We'll drive a bus, whatever we do. And Jesus says as you step into those, the place of business, you're a servant. You're serving those around you. You're serving your boss. You're serving your work. See, a servant isn't something we do. Serving is something we do. A servant is someone we are 24-7. Why? Because the teacher is a servant. It's his core identity. It's who he is. And we're going to grow up and be like him. Now, this is not easy to learn. It's not natural to learn. I feel like I'm in the first grade of learning this. So this is not like, uh, you know, be like Mike. It's like, be like him. Okay? But there's a great encouragement for me as I study the Bible because what's so encouraging is these guys, the followers of Jesus, were such losers. Isn't that encouraging? It would be such a bummer if Peter went up and, hey, Jesus, I know we're going into Jerusalem and um, I know you're picking out your cabinet. 
I just want to let you know, James really wants a top, uh, top rung, and, and I'm good with that. I'm good with that because, you know, he comes from a dysfunctional family. It'd be good for his ego. You know, just kind of give him the top space. I'll take the last. I mean, that would be so discouraging to me because I'd go, well, I'm not like Peter. I'm not like that. I'm always looking out for number one. And so it's so encouraging. These guys are such losers. It gives me hope, you see? It's like, hey, if it, if it can work for them, if God can change their heart, hey, maybe it can change my heart. And he did. They didn't get it right away. But as these men grew, as followers of Jesus, you watch their transformation and you get in the New Testament. And let me give you a couple examples. They're on your note sheet. The Apostle Peter. You know, he's the, the leader of the 12, that one part of the inner three. He writes Bible. He writes New Testament. He was probably the most important leader in the early church at Jerusalem. He preached on the day of Pentecost. The church was born that day. Jesus said, you're Peter on this rock. I'll build my church. You'll be one of my key guys, Peter. And yet when Peter introduces himself at the end of his life in 2 Peter chapter 1, look there on your note sheet. Look how he, he gets, this is his business card. On his business card it says, Simon Peter, a what? A servant. See, he learned the lesson. <laughs> Earlier he wouldn't have said that. But now he says, hey, here's my business card. Simon Peter, I'm a servant. Well, how about the Apostle Paul? I mean, here's a guy who writes 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. A guy who single-handedly evangelizes much of the ancient Gentile world. Guy's amazing. One of the greatest leaders in church history, if not the greatest leader. What does he have on his business card? There in Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant. You see? Jude. Jude was a half-brother of Jesus. I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but Jesus grew up in a big family. It has at least seven or eight kids, you know, in, in the family. And, uh, and so... His brothers and sisters, they all had the same mother, right, Mary, different father. They all resented him for that. Anyway, so Jude is one of those, one of those brothers, and he, he writes this book in the Bible, the letter of Jude, and he introduces himself. Now, you know what I'd have on my business card? I would have Jude, little brother of Jesus. <laughs> That'd be it. Uh, with, with my little... Uh, Soundbite, you know, would be, I taught him everything he knew. Something like that, you know? <laughs> you know? Um, website. You know, real stories of what the real Jesus was like. And I, oh no, but when Jude introduces himself, look how he introduced himself. Jude, a what? A servant. You see, these guys got it. It's so encouraging to me that they were so messed up and they got it. And this is what I believe for our church. So I believe for my life and your life is that if we will submit to Jesus' leadership, we can get it too. He can change our heart, that he can develop the heart of a servant in us. All right. Number two. The second major principle I want you to take from this. So it's part of, servant is part of our core identity. It's not optional. It's who we are. It's not something we do. It's someone we, we become. But number two, that the path to fulfillment <laughs> leads through the door of service. Hey, anyone here says, you know, I don't really want to be fulfilled in life. I just want to be a, live a boring life. I see the hands. They're like, I don't want no excitement, no purpose, no meaning. I don't want any blessing. I'm looking for a life of boredom. No, no, we're all looking for a life of meaning and purpose, right? That's what it's about. And that's why we do what we do. We're in search of it in all our lives. What will make me happy? What will make me fulfilled? How can I live the blessed life using the Jewish 
terminology. What's the secret to the blessed life? And along comes Jesus and says, okay, I got a news for you. It's not what you think it is. You think that the blessed life is about achieving things. You think the blessed life is about being at the top of the heap. You think the blessed life is about serving yourself and seeking your own best. He says, no, no, no. The blessed life comes through service. And it's so counterintuitive that, to be honest, we just don't believe him except when we're in church. We come, we read, and oh, I guess it must be true, Jesus said it. But then we go out. We're not really sure we believe it. Let's look what he said again. John 13, I just want to highlight this. In John 13 and verse 15, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now why, Jesus? Why did you set the example? What's that about? Verse 17, well, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Why did Jesus do this whole washing the feet thing? Why did he take the time? Because Jesus wants your life to be blessed. I mean, this is the guy who said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, right? He said he came to give us life. Well, now he's telling us the path, the path to life. The path to fulfillment, it leads through the door of service. That's what this verse is saying. You'll be blessed if you do them. When I was, uh, you know, a lot of you know that, I went to Wheaton College, which is a Christian liberal arts school outside Chicago. And uh, uh, when I was there, there was a professor there, a very popular professor named Dr. Bill Ezekian. He's an Armenian man. He had been a refugee from Armenia. He'd fled to Paris as a youth, and so he'd grown up in Paris. And so he was this little Armenian man with a great French accent. And uh, so a lot of students just really loved him. And, and one year, he had a particular student. He was a Bible teacher. He had a, he had a student, uh, biblical studies. His student in his class, 20-year-old kid who had grown up in a very prestigious, uh, very wealthy, a lot of well-advantaged home. I mean, the kid grew up with, you know, boats, uh, you know, uh, private boats. He, he, had, he owned fast cars before he even had a license. Harley Davidson's traveled all over the world to, you know, uh, Rio de Janeiro and just really exotic places. And so he comes into Wheaton as a pretty new Christian and he's leading this uh, small group, uh, kind of a high school group. He's volunteering for a, a youth group at a, at a local church. And, and so he, gets, he meets Dr. Bill Ezekian, and, and one of Dr. B's constant themes was that if you want to be fulfilled in life, it, it happens through a life of radical service as followers of Jesus. And he just keep hammering on this, and here's this kid from this prestigious background with all these advantages, and saying, like, how does this match up? I've lived this pretty cool life with all these things, and you're talking about a life of service and self-denial, and that, you know, there's like two different paths, both claiming the path of fulfillment, but the longer he lived to doc, uh, listen to Dr. B, the more he became convinced that he was onto something here. And so he invited him to come and to speak at his youth group, this little youth group. And so he did, and the kids really liked him, and so they invited him back periodically. He became a regular. He would often teach him on things of call this call the radical servanthood, that it's a path to fulfillment. He would often take him to John 13. He would challenge him to pick up the servant's towel, put it on your arm, make a life of service. This is the path to fulfillment. And after doing this for a while, one particular Bible study, Dr. B challenged the students to take Jesus at his word and take a gamble, to take a gamble on God, a six-month gamble. And the gamble was based on something Jesus said in Mark chapter 8. I'd like you to turn there. Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. So Jesus calls the crowd to him and he, with his disciples and he says, if anyone would come after me. In other words, if anyone wants to be my follower, we would say it today, if anyone wants to be a Christian, okay? If you want to come after me, then he must, I want you to underline that word. 
He must, this is not optional equipment on the Christian life, okay? This is a non-negotiable. He must deny himself. Jesus says, if you're going to be a follower of mine, you're going to have to learn to deny yourself. You're going to have to learn to say no to your will and yes to mine. You're going to have to give up some of your dreams and some of your visions and plans, and you're going to have to accept mine. And this is core to what it means to being a follower. Instead of serving yourself, you're going to have to serve me. So he must deny himself and take up his cross, remember the instrument of death, and follow me. Now here's the reason why. Because whoever wants to save his life, says you want to hold on to your life, you want to do life your way, you want to live your life for your purposes and, and just do it your way, the way you want it to be done. He says you hold on to your life, guess what? You'll lose it. Your life will be empty. Your life will be meaningless. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you lay down your life, you give up your will for my will, you follow me, you serve me. And he says, and for the gospel, for the people that I will have you serve, he says, then you'll save it. Then you'll find life. The path to fulfillment leads through the door of death. And so Dr. B looked at this young, small little group, youth group, And he said, okay, I want you to take a gamble on God. I want you to take Jesus at his word. For the next six months, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do if you've got the guts to do it. The next six months, I'm going to challenge you to live a life of radical service. I want you to look for opportunities where you can take the the servant's towel and you can wash people's feet. He said, it can be just little things. You walk through a door, open the door for your friend. You go out to see a movie, offer to take the back seat, give him the front seat. Around the house, do the chores you're assigned, but do chores you're not assigned. Take out the trash, even if it's not your job. Look for ways to serve your parents around the house. So when you come to church, we come to our little meetings. He said, come early and set up chairs. Be the one who stays late and helps out. Look for the jobs that no one else wants to do and embrace those jobs. Pick up the servant's towel. Go through life this next six months and look for every opportunity you can to serve. He said, and then as you're doing that over the six months, I want you to monitor the condition of your heart. So just check in with yourself. How are you doing over the six months? Are you getting more joy or less joy? More fulfillment, less fulfillment. You've been getting emptier or fuller? More purpose, more meaning, more energy? How are your relationships doing? Are they getting stronger or more meaningful? Are they getting weaker and more distant? He said, just, just take your heartbeat. Take, take your pulse, your spiritual pulse as you're going through and see what happens. Or he said, you can do it the other way. You can approach life the other way. You can seek after yourself as number one. Look out for number one. Always take the big piece. You take the front seat. Have others open the door for you. Come late. When there's hard work, disappear. Do the least minimum you can in life and, and monitor your heart as you're doing this. Is your heart you're getting more joy, more fulfillment, more meaning, more purpose? Your relationship's getting stronger? You can do it. D- take the experiment either way. So you can get up in the morning, bow down before the mirror every day. (laughs) Your choice. He says, I'm going to challenge you to take Jesus at his word and see whether he's telling the truth or not. And that little youth group (laughs) decided to take Jesus at his word and to plunge into a life of service. Next six months, they worked harder than they ever had. It wasn't easy because Jesus said, you're going to have to deny yourself. Service isn't easy. And they had to learn to die themselves. They worked harder than they ever have. 
At the end of that six months, that little youth group had grown from a small group into a few hundred kids. And more than that, these kids reported back that they had never lived life at this level, that they were living life on a whole new plane, that they had found meaning and purpose, they discovered gifts they didn't know they had, they had energy, their relationships were closer than they'd ever been. It was not easy, but it was life at a whole new level. And after three years, that little group had grown from a 300 people to 1,000 people. And the core of that group went on to become one of the most influential churches in the world today. That's how the start of Willow Creek back in Chicago. And that young pastor who was 20 years old, that young volunteer who was 20 years old from that privileged background and all the wealth and so on, that was Bill Hybels. And it all happened just because a bunch of kids without any experience or anything decided to take Jesus at his word. And so we're going to live a life of service and see what happens. There on your note sheet, I put a quote from Bill about that time in the life of their church. He says, The handful of leaders in the core of that youth ministry who later made up the core of our church had no seminary degrees, no experience in church planning, no money, no facilities, no maturity, but we had one gutsy Frenchman challenging us to accept the fundamental paradox of the Christian life that following Jesus into radical servanthood is the sure pathway to fulfillment of life. The fundamental paradox of the Christian life is that we enter into fulfillment and freedom the moment we pick up the servant's towel. Wow. Now, next couple weeks, we're going to look at this model of servanthood that just I come back to in my prayer life all the time and say, give me the heart of this guy, God. This guy gets it. This guy is amazing. Would you, would you give me a heart like this man? We'll look at that next week. The following week, we'll come back and talk about how God has uniquely shaped you for service, how he's uniquely qualified you <laughs> to serve in his kingdom. But for today, two lessons I want you to take with you, okay? These two lessons. Number one, I want you to catch this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a calling. It's a core identity of your life. It's not optional. You have a core identity to grow up and be like your teacher, and that's to be a servant. This is not something we do. It's someone we are. I I want us to catch that as a congregation. I believe that Jesus wants us, the church of Rocky Peak, at this point in our life, to embrace this understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we are not consumers. We are servants, you see. And secondly, he wants us to understand that the moment we embrace that identity, is the moment we begin to live life at a whole new level. It is a path to freedom. It's so paradoxical that in in serving others, we find freedom, isn't it? It's crazy. But Jesus bet his life on it, and he wants to see if we'll bet our lives on him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you're doing at this church, God. I'm just so thankful for that. And I'm thankful, Lord, you're speaking to us. I thank you that you're calling us, Lord, to embrace this core identity that life is not about seeking our own. Life is about seeking you and serving you and serving others. And in that serving, there is liberty and there is freedom.
and there's fulfillment and there's purpose and there's energy and there's joy and there is blessing. God, we pray you teach us in the next couple of weeks what this means to be the heart of a servant. We freely admit to you and I foremost of all, God, that I am unable to create in myself the heart of a servant. This is a supernatural thing. Without you, I cannot do that. But Lord, as you change these men 2,000 years ago who were just like us into their own things and you created in them a heart of a servant, Lord, we pray that you develop that in us as well. That you do a miracle in our hearts as individuals and as a church, God, that we would be a place that would serve you well and we'd enter into the blessing, the life that you've called us to. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You know, I ever wonder why Jesus is the famous one? Like, why does it always have to be about him? You know, it's just... And you know what? The reason is the Apostle Paul gives us the reason. The reason he's the famous one was because he's the greatest servant of all. And it's really the truth. I mean, I'm just making it up because today's topic. It's what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Listen to this. Your attitude, your attitude, my attitude, should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Now listen to this. And being humbled, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We just celebrated that. Now, now here we go. here's where it comes. Therefore, next word, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Therefore, God made him the famous one. Why? Because as God, he gave up the most to become a servant, even to the point of death. See, Jesus is the famous one and it says, it goes on, it says that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, famous one, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of the Father. Why is he the famous one? Because he gave up the most. See? He was the highest and he became the least. And so when Jesus says the student will become like his teacher, he's marked the path. Your path to greatness, the disciple's path to greatness is a path of service. He marked the trail for us already. He's already tried that path. And that's why he is now the famous one because he is the ultimate servant, you see? And to be a follower of Jesus means that we embrace that identity and the freedom and the joy that he has will be ours as we learn to follow, as we let God develop the heart of a servant in our lives. May this be a week where you open yourself up to that message and ask God to speak to you this week and review these two principles and ask God to write them on your heart and be prepared for whatever God has to do, whether it's our homes, our businesses, our church or whatever, of picking up the servant's towel this week. God bless you. And next week we'll talk about the mystery man. See you then. <laughs>